Welcome to the Inside the Board Study Smarter series dedicated to helping you learn to think like a question writer so you can study smarter, not harder, and succeed on your exam. All right, this is a best of episode for our USMLE Step 2 Study Smarter series. Question one. What conditions should you consider in a child with an abnormal head circumference? Increased head circumference may mean hydrocephalus or tumor, whereas decreased head circumference may mean microcephaly, for example, torch or congenital toxoplasmosis. Other causes, such as syphilis, HIV, rubella, cytomegalovirus, herpes simplex infection, or Zika virus. Again, the pattern of head circumference over time plotted on a growth curve, is most helpful in defining pathology. Here's the next question. How are hearing and vision screened? Hearing and vision should be measured objectively at least once by four years of age. After the initial screen, measure every few years until adulthood, or more often if the history so dictates. Next question. In what situations should you worry about hearing loss? After a bout of meningitis? because hearing loss is the most common neurologic complication, with congenital torch infections, with measles or mumps, with chronic middle ear effusions or chronic or recurrent otitis media, and with the use of ototoxic drugs such as aminoglycosides. Next question. What is the red reflex? What should an abnormal reflex suggest? Check for loss of the red reflex at birth and routinely thereafter to detect congenital cataracts or ocular tumors. When a pen light is shined at the pupil, you usually see red because of the underlying fundus. If a cataract or tumor is present in the eye, the red reflex disappears and you see white, known as leukocoria, and classically due to retinoblastoma. Next question. True or false? Before a certain age, intermittent strabismus is normal. True. It is normal for infants to have occasional ocular misalignment, or strabismus, until three months of age. After three months, or with constant eye deviation, strabismus should be evaluated and managed by an ophthalmologist to prevent possible blindness in the affected eye. Next question. Define delayed puberty. What is the most common cause? Delayed puberty is defined by a lack of testicular enlargement in boys by age 14 or a lack of breast development or pubic hair in girls by age 12 years. The most common cause is constitutional delay, a normal variant. Watch for parents with a similar history of being late bloomers. The child's growth curve consistently lags behind that of peers, but the line representing the child's growth curve is parallel to the normal growth curve. Treatment is reassurance only. Next question. What are other causes for delayed puberty? Rarely, delayed puberty is due to primary testicular failure, Kleinfelter syndrome, cryptorchidism, history of chemotherapy, or gonadal dysgenesis, or due to ovarian failure, Turner syndrome, or gonadal dysgenesis. Even more rarely, delayed puberty is due to a hypothalamic pituitary defect, such as Kalman syndrome or tumor. Next question. What causes precocious puberty? Precocious puberty is usually idiopathic, but may be due to McCune-Albright syndrome in girls, 
ovarian tumors, such as granulosa, thecal cell, or gonadoblastoma, to testicular tumors, Leydig cell tumors, central nervous system disease or trauma, adrenal neoplasm, or congenital adrenal hyperplasia, which causes precocious puberty only in girls and is usually due to 21-hydroxylase deficiency. Obesity may also lead to precocious puberty in girls. Next question. True or false? If the underlying cause for precocious puberty is uncorrectable or idiopathic after diagnostic workup, patients should receive treatment. True. Most patients are given long-acting gonadotropin-releasing hormone agonists to suppress the progression of puberty. This approach helps to prevent premature epiphyseal closure with short stature. Next question. How are cavernous hemangiomas treated? Cavernous hemangiomas are benign vascular tumors that are often first noticed a few days after birth. They tend to increase in size after birth, sometimes becoming quite large, and gradually resolve within the first two years of life. The best treatment is to do nothing but observe and follow. Next question. Distinguish between caput succedinium and cephalohematoma. How are these conditions treated? Both conditions are noted in newborns after vaginal delivery. Caput succedinium defines diffuse swelling or edema of the scalp that crosses the midline, is benign, and requires no further investigation or treatment. Cephalohematomas are subperiosteal hemorrhages that are sharply limited by sutures and do not cross the midline. Cephalohematomas are usually benign and self-resolving, but in rare cases, they may indicate an underlying skull fracture. Order a radiograph or CT scan to rule out fracture if given the option. Next question. When does the anterior fontanelle usually close? What disorder should you suspect if it fails to close? The anterior fontanelle is usually closed by 18 months of age. Delayed closure or an unusually large anterior fontanelle may indicate hypothyroidism, hydrocephalus, rickets, or intrauterine growth restriction. Next question. What is the scientific name for swimmer's ear? What causes it? Otitis externa, which most often is due to infection with Pseudomonas aeruginosa. Patients have pain with manipulation of the oracle and erythematous swollen skin in the auditory canal. Foul-smelling discharge and conductive hearing loss may also be present. Treat with topical antibiotics, such as ofloxacin, neomycin, or polymyxin B, and possibly topical steroids to reduce swelling. Next question. What causes otitis media? How do you recognize it? Otitis media, or inflammation of the middle ear, is an extremely common pediatric infection, most often due to infection with streptococcus pneumoniae, haemophilus influenza, or moraxella cateralis. Patients have no pain with manipulation of the oracle. Positive symptoms include earache, fever, an erythematous and bulging tympanic membranes, the light reflex and landmarks are difficult to see with otoscopy, and also nausea and vomiting. Next question. What are the complications of otitis media? How are they avoided? Complications include tympanic membrane perforation, mastoiditis, 
look for fluctuance and inflammation over the mastoid process, often with anterior displacement of the affected ear, roughly two weeks after the onset of otitis media. Other complications include labyrinthitis, palsies of cranial nerves 7 and 8, meningitis, cerebral abscess, dural sinus thrombosis, and chronic otitis media due to permanent perforation of the tympanic membrane. Patients with chronic otitis media may develop cholesteatomas with marginal perforations that require surgical excision. Otitis media is generally treated with antibiotics to avoid these complications. These antibiotics include amoxicillin, second-generation cephalosporins such as cefuroxime or amacrolide. Next question. What is the problem with recurrent otitis media? How is it treated? Recurrent otitis media is a common pediatric problem, along with prolonged secretory otitis, a result of incompletely resolved otitis media, and can cause hearing loss with resultant developmental problems, including speech and cognitive functions. Treat with prophylactic antibiotics or tympanostomy tubes. Adenoidectomy is controversial but may help in some cases. It is thought to help prevent blockage of the eustachian tubes. Next question. How do you recognize measles infection in a child? Pathognomonic coplex spots, which are tiny white spots on the buccal mucosa, are seen three days after high fever, cough, runny nose, and conjunctivitis with or without photophobia. On the next day, a maculopapular rash begins on the head and neck and spreads downward to cover the trunk. There's a cephalocaudal progression. Look for a history or lack of immunization. Treat supportively. Patients are contagious until several days after the rash first appears. Don't forget to contact the health department regarding cases of measles. Next question. Describe the complications of measles. Complications include giant cell pneumonia, especially in very young and immunocompromised patients, otitis media, and encephalitis, either acute or late. Subacute sclerosing panencephalitis, which usually occurs years later. Next question. Why is rubella infection, or German measles, an important disease? Infection in pregnant mothers can cause severe birth defects in the fetus. Screen all women of reproductive age and immunize those without evidence of rubella antibodies before pregnancy to avoid this complication. Remember, however, that the vaccine is contraindicated in pregnant women. Next question. How do you recognize a rubella infection in children? What are the complications? Rubella is milder than measles. Signs and symptoms include low-grade fever, malaise, and tender swelling of the sub-occipital and post-auricular nodes. Arthralgias are common. After a two- to three-day prodrome, a faint maculopapular rash appears on the face and neck and spreads to the trunk, a cephalocaudal progression, just as in measles. Complications include encephalitis and otitis media. Next question. How do you recognize roseola and phantom? What causes it? Roseola and phantom is often easy to recognize because of the progression. High fever, which may be higher than 40 degrees Celsius, with no apparent cause for four days, which may result in febrile seizures. 
followed by an abrupt return to normal temperature, just as a diffuse macular or maculopapular rash appears on the chest and abdomen. It may be associated with lymphadenopathy, erythematous tympanic membranes, and sterile pyuria. It is caused by the human herpes virus type 6, a DNA herpes family virus. The diagnosis is clinical and treatment is supportive. The disease is rare in children older than three years. Next question. How do you recognize erythema infectiosum, or fifth disease, in children? What causes it? Look for the classic slapped cheek rash. It's confluent erythema over the cheeks that looks like someone slapped the child across the face, accompanied by mild constitutional symptoms such as low fever and malaise. One day later, a maculopapular rash appears on the arms, legs, and trunk. The disease is caused by parvovirus B19, the same virus that causes aplastic crisis in sickle cell disease. Parvovirus can have serious consequences during pregnancy, including fetal demise. Next question. How do you recognize chickenpox? What causes it? The description and progression of the rash should lead you to the diagnosis. A discrete, intensely pyritic macules, usually on the trunk, turn into papules, which turn into vesicles that rupture and crust over. Such changes occur within one day. Because the lesions appear in successive crops, the rash will be in different stages of progression in different areas. The cause is the varicella virus. Next question. How can you make a definitive diagnosis of chickenpox? At what point is a patient with chickenpox no longer infectious? A sank smear of tissue from the base of a vesicle shows multinucleated giant cells. Presumptive diagnosis can be made if the rash is classic. Infectivity ceases only when the last lesion crusts over. Next question. What are the complications of chickenpox? A complication is infection of the lesions with streptococci or staphylococci, which can cause impetigo, erysipelas, cellulitis, and or sepsis. The patient should be instructed to keep clean to avoid infection. Other complications include pneumonia, especially in very young children, adults, and immunocompromised patients, encephalitis, and Rye syndrome. Do not give aspirin to a child with a fever unless you have a diagnosis that requires its use. The varicella zoster virus can reactivate years later to cause herpes zoster, also known as shingles, a rash that develops in a dermatomal distribution with preceding pain and paresthesias. A child who has not been immunized or exposed to chickenpox can catch the disease from someone with shingles. Next question. Describe the treatment and prophylaxis for chickenpox. No treatment other than supportive care, such as acetaminophen, fluids, avoidance of infecting others, is needed in most cases. Acyclovir can be used in severe cases. Routine vaccination with the varicella vaccine is now recommended for all children in the United States. Varicella zoster immune globulin is available for prophylaxis in patients with debilitating illness, such as leukemia or AIDS, if you see them within four days of exposure, and also for newborns of mothers with chickenpox. IV immunoglobulin can be given if varicella zoster immune globulin is not available. Next question. 
What is scarlet fever? What causes it? How is it recognized and treated? Scarlet fever is a febrile illness with a rash caused by certain streptococcus species. Look for a history of untreated streptococcal pharyngitis. Only streptococcal species that produce erythrogenic toxin can cause scarlet fever. Pharyngitis is followed by a sandpaper-like rash on the abdomen and trunk with classic circumoral pallor and strawberry tongue. The rash tends to desquamate once the fever subsides. Oral penicillin V is the treatment of choice for streptococcal pharyngitis to prevent rheumatic fever. Alternative therapies include amoxicillin, cephalosporin, macrolides, or clindamycin. Next question. What are the diagnostic criteria for Kawasaki disease, also called mucocutaneous lymph node syndrome? Fever more than five days, which is mandatory for diagnosis, bilateral conjunctival injection, changes in the lips, tongue, or oral mucosa, such as strawberry tongue, fissuring, and injection, changes in the extremities, such as skin desquamation, edema, or erythema, a polymorphous truncal rash, which usually begins one day after the fever starts, and cervical lymphadenopathy. Also look for arthralgia or arthritis. This is a rare disease seen in patients under five years old. Next question. What is the most feared complication of Kawasaki disease? How do you prevent it? Complications involving the heart, such as coronary artery aneurysms, congestive heart failure, arrhythmias, myocarditis, and even myocardial infarction. Follow the child with echocardiography to detect heart involvement. Include Kawasaki disease in the differential diagnosis of any child who has an MI. If Kawasaki disease is suspected, give aspirin and intravenous immunoglobulins. Both have proven to reduce cardiac lesions. Kawasaki disease is one of the few indications for aspirin in a child. Next question. What pediatric GI conditions are commonly found on step two? How are they distinguished? Intussusception, presenting age, three months to two years, vomiting description, bilious, keywords, current jelly stools, which is blood and mucus, palpable sausage-shaped mass, treat with pneumatic or hydrostatic enema guided by fluoroscopy or ultrasound. This is both diagnostic and therapeutic. Necrotizing enterocolitis, presenting age, zero to two months, vomiting is bilious, keywords, premature baby, fever, rectal bleeding, air in the bowel wall. Treat with NPO, orogastric tube, IV fluids, and antibiotics. Meconium ileus, presenting age, zero to one week, vomiting is feculent and late, keywords, this is a cystic fibrosis manifestation as is rectal prolapse. Midgut volvulus, presenting age, zero to two years. Vomiting is bilious. And keywords: sudden onset of pain, distension, rectal bleeding, peritonitis, a bird's beak on abdominal radiograph. Treat with surgery. Meckel diverticulum, presenting age, zero to two years. Vomiting description varies. And the findings and keywords, the rule of twos, the rule of twos for Meckel diverticulum are the following. 2% of the population is affected. 
It's two inches long and within two feet of the ileocolic junction. It presents in the first two years of life. Mechal diverticulum can cause intussusception, obstruction, or volvulus. Also look for GI ulceration and bleeding. Use a Mechal scan to detect and treat it with surgery. Strangulated hernia can present at any age. Vomiting description is bilious. And findings and keywords, physical exam detects bowel loops in the inguinal canal. Next question. Which GI malformation primarily causes respiratory problems? Diaphragmatic hernia, which is more common in males. 90% are on the left side. The main point to know is that the bowel herniates into the thorax through the diaphragmatic defect, compressing the lung and impeding lung development. Pulmonary hypoplasia develops. Patients present with respiratory distress and have bowel sounds in the chest and bowel loops in the thorax on chest radiographs. Treat with surgical correction of the diaphragm. Next question. How are omphalocele and gastroschisis differentiated? An omphalocele associated with other congenital anomalies is located in the midline. The sac contains multiple abdominal organs. The umbilical ring is absent and other anomalies are common. Gastroschisis is to the right of the midline. Only small bowel is exposed. There's no true hernia sac. The umbilical ring is present, and other anomalies are rare. Next question. What is Henoch-Schonlein purpura? Why is it mentioned in the GI section of this book? Henoch-Schonlein purpura is a vasculitis that may present with GI bleeding and abdominal pain. Look for a history of upper respiratory infection, characteristic rash on the lower extremities and buttocks, swelling in the hands and feet, arthritis, and or hematuria and proteinuria. Treat supportively with hydration, rest, and pain relief. Next question. What is the most common cause of diarrhea in children? As a primary cause, probably viral gastroenteritis, such as Norwalk virus and rotavirus. Remember, however, that diarrhea is often a nonspecific sign of any systemic illness, such as otitis media, pneumonia, and urinary tract infection. Next question. True or false? Children may develop inflammatory bowel disease and irritable bowel syndrome. True. Abdominal pain may be the result of inflammatory bowel disease or irritable bowel syndrome. Diarrhea, fever, bloody stools, anemia, joint pains, and poor growth are more concerning for inflammatory bowel disease. GI complaints may also be due to anxiety or psychiatric problems. Watch for separation anxiety, children who do not want to go to school, depression, and child abuse. Next question. What should you know about infant respiratory distress syndrome? Infant respiratory distress syndrome is due to atelectasis from a deficiency of surfactant. It is seen almost exclusively in premature infants and infants of diabetic mothers. Look for rapid labored respirations, substernal retractions, cyanosis, grunting, and or nasal flaring. ABG shows hypoxemia and hypercarbia. Radiograph shows diffuse atelectasis, described as diffuse granular infiltrates. Treat with oxygen, give surfactant, and intubate if necessary. Complications include intraventricular hemorrhage and pneumothorax or bronchopulmonary dysplasia. 
complications of acute or chronic mechanical ventilation. In contrast, transient tachypnea of the newborn is a benign and common condition characterized by isolated rapid breathing that resolves within 72 hours of life and is treated with supportive care. Next question. What prenatal tests help to determine whether respiratory distress syndrome will occur? Measurement of amniotic fluid in the pregnant mother can determine whether the fetus is producing adequate surfactant. A lecithin to sphingomyelin ratio greater than 2 to 1 or the presence of phosphatidylglycerol in the amniotic fluid indicates fetal lung maturity and a low likelihood of infant respiratory distress syndrome. The fluorescence polarization test reflects the ratio of surfactant to albumin in amniotic fluid and is a direct measurement of surfactant concentration. An elevated ratio indicates fetal lung maturity. Betamethasone is indicated to encourage fetal lung maturity if a preterm delivery at less than 32 weeks gestation is suspected. Next question. Define diaphragmatic hernia. How is it recognized clinically? A defect in the diaphragm allows bowel to herniate into the chest. Diaphragmatic hernia is mentioned in the pulmonary section because it presents with respiratory difficulty, not gastrointestinal problems. Herniated bowel pushes on the developing lung and causes lung hypoplasia on the affected side. Look for a scaphoid abdomen and bowel sounds in the chest. Herniated bowel can be seen on the chest radiograph. 90% are left-sided. Next question. How do you recognize and diagnose a tracheoesophageal fistula? How is it treated? The most common type, about 85% of cases, of tracheoesophageal fistula is an esophagus with a blind pouch proximally and a fistula between a bronchus or crina and the distal esophagus. Look for a neonate with excessive oral secretions, coughing or cyanosis with attempted feedings, abdominal distension, and aspiration pneumonia. The diagnosis is made by the inability to pass a nasogastric tube. Alternatively, an injection of air via a nasogastric tube under fluoroscopy shows only the proximal esophagus. Treatment is early surgical correction. Next question. What is the most common lethal genetic disease in Caucasians? How do you recognize it? Cystic fibrosis, which is an autosomal recessive disease. Always suspect cystic fibrosis in pediatric patients with rectal prolapse, meconium ileus, esophageal varices, recurrent pulmonary infections, or failure to thrive. The classic complaint from the mother is a salty-tasting baby. Patients also commonly have pancreatic insufficiency and infertility. They also may develop core pulmonale, right heart failure. Most states now screen for cystic fibrosis in the standard newborn screening. Next question. How is cystic fibrosis diagnosed and treated? Diagnosis is made by an abnormal increase in the electrolytes of the patient's sweat, sodium and chloride, and or DNA testing. Treat with chest physical therapy, annual influenza vaccine, fat-soluble vitamin supplements, pancreatic enzyme replacement, bronchodilators, Dornase Alpha, and aggressive treatment of infections with antibiotics that cover staph, haemophilus, 
and pseudomonas. Next question. What causes virilization in children? In female neonates, congenital adrenal hyperplasia is a likely cause of virilization. The classic example is a female infant born with ambiguous genitalia. However, the patient may also be a male child with precocious puberty. At least 90% of cases are due to 21-hydroxylase deficiency. Because 21-hydroxylase is involved in the production of both aldosterone and cortisol, children develop signs of hypoadrenalism with salt wasting, hypotension, hyperkalemia, hyponatremia, hypoglycemia, acidosis, and nausea and vomiting. Abnormally high levels of serum 17-hydroxyprogesterone or urinary 17-ketosteroids, DHEA sulfate, and androsterone, along with decreased free cortisol in the serum, clinch the diagnosis. Give corticosteroids to prevent death. In older children, worry about a testosterone-secreting gonadal neoplasm. Next question. Define precocious puberty and pseudo-precocious puberty. True precocious puberty is defined as activation of the hypothalamic pituitary axis with sexual maturation before the age of 8 years in females and before the age of 9 years in males. In pseudo-precocious puberty, secondary sex characteristics develop prematurely because of high circulating levels of androgen or estrogen. Next question. How is precocious puberty different from pseudoprecocious puberty? True precocious puberty is usually idiopathic, but can be caused by central nervous system lesions. A general rule of thumb is that true precocious puberty causes testicular or ovarian enlargement, which does not occur in pseudoprecocious puberty. Ovarian cysts are not considered true ovarian enlargement. All patients with suspected precocious puberty should have a gonadotropin-releasing hormone, GnRH, stimulation test. If a dose of GnRH produces the typical pubertal response of increased FSH and LH, true precocious puberty is diagnosed. An MRI of the brain should be obtained to rule out CNS disease, such as hamartomas, tumors, cysts, and trauma as the cause. Next question. What causes pseudoprecocious puberty? Pseudoprecocious puberty may be caused by exogenous hormones, adrenal tumors, congenital adrenal hyperplasia, such as 21-hydroxylase deficiency, hormone-secreting tumors, or McCune-Albright syndrome in females, which includes ovarian cysts, pseudoprecocious puberty, polyostotic fibrous dysplasia of the bone, and cafe au lait spots. Next question. How is precocious puberty treated? Because premature puberty causes premature fusion of growth plates in the bone and can cause serious social problems for affected children, treatment is indicated. Treatment of any underlying disorders is indicated for pseudoprecocious puberty. For true idiopathic precocious puberty, treatment with long-acting GnRH agonists is indicated to suppress the pituitary hypothalamic axis and to delay the onset of puberty until an appropriate age. All right, and we will stop there. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back with some more high-yield learning next time.